Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. Well, it's time now to announce the total results for all the giving and pledging that we've been doing over the last seven weeks. Something we've prayed over, thought about, talked about, studied on for a while now. So drum roll, please. I guess that's me. We'll have about just a, just a little bit under $700,000 to work with. And what can I say to that other than that we've been part of a miracle? Now, you hear me say $700,000, you say, Pastor, I thought we were praying for a million, and we were. And it's not quite as much as we were hoping, but it's certainly enough to get started. So you say, why are you saying it's a miracle? Well, it's a miracle because it's twice as much as we did eight years ago. And it's a miracle because of this. The biggest gift that we had out of the $700,000 was $50,000. The second biggest gift was $36,000, and nobody else was even in the 30s. Now again, think of the number $700,000. And what that says is that almost everybody is involved in this campaign. Everybody gave to put God first in their life. Everybody sacrificed to see what it is that God would do in this place. It's made up of everybody. And that's why it's so exciting. Because God moved everybody to sacrifice a little. And it's the same as our budget, actually. Everybody gives a little, but we don't have these great huge givers on our general budget, general fund budget. And we didn't have those great huge givers in our campaign. And yet God still did a miracle in this place. I don't know if you can understand or comprehend that much money from that many different people. You know, one of the greatest praises I've had through this whole thing is I've wanted to to challenge you in your faith walks, to to grow disciples, to challenge your maturity, to, to to establish growth. And yes, last week you were God's disciples in the way that you guys tried. And I couldn't be prouder, and I couldn't be more tickled. And so we've been part of a miracle, and nobody can deny it. And in this little church, to raise that much money, I would say, wow. Nobody can excuse it away. Nobody can ignore it. In one of the statistically least generous counties in America, we've been part of a miracle of generosity. And nobody can take that away from you. And so congratulations to you guys for what God has done through you. You pledged almost $700,000 in this campaign, and you did it without any gimmicks, right? We didn't put any thermometers on the wall. We didn't put anybody's name on a plaque or on a chair or on a window or anything. Nobody got any glory out of this except for Jesus Christ, and that's pretty cool. We didn't do any bake sales or cake sales or, 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 or candy sales or swap meets. We didn't do any of the typical fundraising kind of things. Why? Because this wasn't a fundraiser. This was a campaign about growth and about giving. And last week you had the final exam and you passed with flying colors. Somebody asked me, Pastor, are we done? And I said, I don't know. But I can tell you two things with confidence. God saw our hearts and either he has given us enough to work with or he's got more to come. But either way, we have enough to take that first step forward. And so this morning, really, I want to take a look at what happened. And I want to focus on what do we learn from this 10 Steps campaign. What are the lessons that we got out of it? And I ask that because First Steps was never about buildings. Well, it was partly about buildings and parking lots and all those different things. But the reality is that we've always been far more interested in growing disciples, of building people, than we are about building buildings. To be honest, we didn't really even talk about buildings much as we went through this campaign, other than to ask you to pray for what God would do. My goal was to stretch you spiritually and to deepen your faith to extend your love, to enlarge your sphere of service, and to build commitment, and to teach you greater levels of sacrifice. 
So when we talk about being Christ-like, we realize that it's a service-oriented servant that God desires. So my prayer as you went through this campaign is that you grew in character, that you grew in your love for Jesus Christ, because this whole campaign was designed really to help build your character and to help you grow closer to Jesus. And I believe because of the way things went down, because we had so many different units giving so much, I believe that this church will never be the same after this event. And, and I believe that you individually will never be the same after this event. Because the real miracle here was the miracle that happened in the hearts of the people of St. Mark. There is no way we could raise $700,000 with that breakdown if it wasn't. Yes, thank God for the eventual amount, absolutely. That's not really the issue. The issue is what happened in the hearts of the people, what God did in you. Now, there's a word for what happened in, for this in the Bible, what happened in the last seven weeks, and it's the word revival. And revival is what God does when he gets our attention, and bam, all of a sudden you've changed. All of a sudden we go in a different direction. You do things that you would never normally do. Like clear out a bank account and give it to a campaign or give an offering or say sacrifices great and small. But that's what happened during this campaign. Revival has happened in our church in the last six weeks and people's lives were changed. And so again, I ask, what have we learned? The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 11.2. It says, remember what you've learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. And in Deuteronomy 4.9, it says, Be careful to never forget what you have seen God doing for you. For, it may, for you, may his miracles have a deep and permanent effect upon your lives. And so tell your children and your grandchildren. I want you to note the words remember and never forget. God tells us never to forget the things that we've learned through experience. But here's the problem with, I think, most of us, is that most of us have really good forgetters. I have a good forgetter. I'm guessing some of you guys have good forgetters. This is what happened to the Israelites in the middle of the wilderness, right? They spent 40 years in the middle of the wilderness journey that should have taken them just a couple of weeks. Why? Because they kept forgetting what God had done for them. I was just rereading this in Scripture. They saw ten plagues of Israel from, from God it happened on Egypt. They got to go away from Egypt because the Pharaoh was urging them to. Got to get out of slavery for free. It's like the monopoly, get out of jail free card. God just got to go. And when they went, they pillaged Egypt. They asked all the people, their masters, hey, can you have your gold? And they gave them their gold. I, I don't understand. And then there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke that guided them along the way. And then they got to walk through the Red Sea. Pillars of fire, I mean, of water on each side, and they're just walking through, looking at the fishies. I don't know, but they're walking through on dry ground. All this happened, and they continued to doubt, and they continued to forget the power, the care, the love of their God. And I think the same is true with us. They just kept forgetting what God had done for them. God would do a miracle, and they, they'd forget, and then what would they do? They would grumble unto the Lord and complain. God would do a miracle and they'd forget and they'd act as if God had ever done anything for them. So God says we need to remember the things that we've learned through our experiences. Some things in your Christian life you learn only through experience. You can go to Bible studies all that you want to, every night of the week, to be honest. And you can go and you can sit there in those classes and never learn anything. You can talk about your faith, but it's another thing to stretch your faith. You can study about sacrifice in all the small groups and Bible studies that you can go to, but until you sacrifice, you haven't learned anything. 
You can talk about giving and generosity and purpose and faith and character, but until you act on those things, they're just theories in your mind. You see, some things we only learn by experience. And so again, I'll ask, what have we learned? I think we've learned several things as we've gone through this campaign, and one of the first things I've learned very clearly is that God is in control. We've seen God do it over and over. He's showed that he is in control of this process. God has demonstrated in so many different ways in miracles and circumstances and coincidences that happened during the last six or seven weeks and answered prayers and changed lives. Talk to anybody on the building campaign, and they'll tell you, man, if we had raised $700,000 a year ago, we would be weeping. But there's a way forward now because God has given us some insight into the, how the city works through a member in this church. God continues to do miracles. He continues to provide ways forward. During the last six weeks, people who have been separated from each other in marriage have gotten back together. During the last six weeks, we had a person who had been enslaved by alcohol, drugs, tobacco, and was finally released. I've heard his story. People who had been prayed for for 10 or 20 years finally came to know Jesus. Incredible stories. It's so that when you step out in faith, God moves. That the God is in control. Scripture says, you are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power. Why does God still do miracles today? He does it to show that he's in charge, that he's still in control. Scripture says again, in this way, each generation has been able to set its hope anew on God and not forget his glorious miracles. So you don't have to base your faith solely on the miracles in the Bible. Because God still does them today. He's done so in my life. My daughter's a, a walking testament to that. She's in kindergarten. She had a, a cancerous brain tumor removed from her head. And, and it's just like they got a get-out-of-jail-free card. She walks and she talks and there's nothing wrong with her. And praise God for that. But God's done miracles in your life too. He's answered prayers. He's brought people back to faith that you never thought would come back to the church or back to Jesus He's healed things in your life. He's given you opportunities in your life. He's saved you in your life. Over and over, God has been there. And he does so to remind us always that when we feel hopeless, that we, when we feel defeated, that we need to remember that God is in control. I think another thing we learned, too, in the middle of this campaign is that you can't outgive God. I heard that over and over from different people. We try and we try, but we can never do it. Why? Because it will never happen. The fact is, if God never did anything else for us in our entire life, he's already done far more than we could ever be able to repay or do back to him. Through Calvary, through what he did for us on the cross, we can shout out loud that our sins are forgiven, that our place is reserved in heaven, that we have been redeemed, that he gives us the power for living, that he continues to walk through us, with us, as we go through life. These kind of things can never be repaid. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously, for God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more, so that there will not be enough for your so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. You know, we looked at this principle of sowing and reaping as we went through this series, this idea of the principle of the harvest. What you sow, he says, is what you're going to reap in this life. And you'll always reap more than he sow. It's a promise that he makes. You you plant a seed in the ground, and you don't get one seed back. You get a flower with lots of seeds on it. Or you plant corn in the ground with one seed, and you don't get one kernel back. You get a whole bunch of kernels back. The one thing I didn't talk about, though, in the series is this. 
Do you sow and you reap in the same season? Not usually. Sometimes we get that experience and it's an amazing thing. It's like when you go and you share your faith, do they come to faith right there? Not usually, but you're planting seeds. You're, you're being faithful. You plant in the spring and you reap in the summer and the fall. There's always a delay. There's no farmer, no gardener that could tell you of a plant or a fruit that you could plant the seed and immediately see the results. Not even the chia pet works that way, and I know I'm dating myself with that, right? But there's always a little delay on that one. You sowed your heart last week is why I'm sharing this. And I want you to know that the harvest is inevitable. You have trusted God, and God always comes through on his promises. What you sow, you will reap. It's just a matter of time. God does not lie. God says if you sow, you're going to reap. And I say that as an encouragement. God will be there for you as you go forward. Now, the timing varies widely on this. Some of you, I know, actually reaped in the last six-week period. Some of you actually reaped before this six-week period, and you were able to give more generously than you thought. That's great, and that's good, and you ought to thank God for that, but that's usually not the way it works. Normally, you reap in another season, the season than the season you sowed. But God says this, I will give you a harvest of blessing. So you start asking, how does God bless our lives? There's a lot of different ways. He blesses us spiritually, emotionally. He gives us relational blessings. Some of us need those desperately. Some of it, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's physical or health blessings. I know there's a lot of folks with that. Some rewards are reserved for heaven, but you can count on this, that what you've sown you will reap. It's God promised to us. He says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the storehouses of heaven. God says, I will be there. I know there's some of you that have been giving since the last campaign, the last eight years toward the building fund, and that's amazing. It's one of the reasons that we have what we have today. And I'm excited for you because in the next three years, you're going to see even more reaping than you did in the first eight, some harvesting, because God keeps his word, and we can't outgive God. You know, God calls us to trust his promises, and it's one of the ones I'm asking you to trust today. You stepped out in faith. You stepped out in sacrifice. And so trust him with this as well. And the last thing I think we can learn through this or have learned is that we grow by keeping commitments. You know, the reality is I've watched you be ch- stretched and, and I've watched you be challenged to a deeper level of faith and sacrifice and purpose. And as your pastor, I'm so proud of you. Seriously, when I was looking, I, it's almost everybody gave something. And there's a ton of people that gave way beyond what I thought their means were. And, and I just, I, I'm amazed by that. I've seen the struggle, though. For many of you, this has been a very uncomfortable time, and, and you know why, why shouldn't it have been? Does anybody really like working out and going out for that first time and, and, and using your muscles and then having them be sore for the next 20 days, it seems like, right? No, it's no fun, but it's the way we grow. I've seen you be stretched, and I've seen your faith grow incrementally, and you have changed sometimes some of you, your commitments five or six times in the five or six weeks we were doing this. You came up with an amount first, and you thought, you know what, we can stretch more than that. We have people even calling this week and say, I'd like to change my commitment. I'd like to increase it. Why? Why is all this happening? Because God keeps talking to us. We want to grow. We want to be stretched. We want to believe God for more than we've ever believed in him from before. We want to trust that he is a faithful God. See, commitment is the foundation of character. It's the starting point for spiritual maturity. It's the mark of maturity. And every time you make a commitment and keep it, You grow spiritually. So I'm excited for this next 36 months because every time you write a check, there's going to be a test. Every time, every single week, there's going to be a test. The Bible says this in 2 Chronicles. 
The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, God's looking for people to use. God is looking for a people to bless. The condition, though, is that we not be afraid to be fully committed to him. In James 2.17, it says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so faith is not something you say, and faith is not something you believe, and faith is not something that you think, and faith is not something that you feel, and faith is not something that you discuss. Faith is something you do. If you say, I have faith that this chair will hold me, it's not faith until you sit down. Sometimes there's a lot of faith in that, right? Well, many other people, other groups and ministries discuss faith at this church we have proof that we do it. We practice it. We put it into action. Because faith without action is dead. It doesn't count. It's not real faith. It doesn't work. It's worthless. In March of 2014, God looked down on all the globe called the world. And in the country of the United States, North America, down in Arizona, and a county called Maricopa, he found a group of people at a church called St. Mark, and he said, you know what? They trust me there. That's a place where they put me first. That's where they put me and put it all on the line. Where they put their money where their mouth is. They just don't talk, go talking about me. They do it. And surely God is pleased with that. And surely God sees our hearts in that. This next 36 months is going to be a great adventure together. But before I let you go, I just want to close with this warning. I want you to know that Satan is going to try to steal your joy. That's his job, I guess. He doesn't like us. He's going to try to rob you of your happiness, this joy of giving, the joy of commitment, this joy of sacrifice, this joy of stretching your faith. And he will use anything at work, on the freeway, at home that he can to distract you. Because after every mountaintop, there is a valley. You can count on it. And as your pastor who cares about you, I just want to warn you of this. After every emotional high in your life, there will be an emotional low, and you need to be ready for it. And I need you to remember this, that the mark of spiritual maturity is not, am I on a mountaintop? And the mark of spiritual maturity is not, am I in a valley? You have both of those in this life. But the mark of spiritual maturity is this, am I on the right path? And so don't worry about the mountaintop. And don't worry about the valley. Just stay on the path. And stay connected. Stay focused on Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.